close enough? Can everybody hear me? All right. You can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you for the, the warm welcome. I just want to take a minute and honor Steve and Ken Parker, the visionaries of this house. Steve's not here today. He is in Michigan at the Rock of Michigan. And I'm sure that everything happening there is amazing today. And I just, I declare peace and, and just that he will be able to release everything that Holy Spirit has for them up north today. And just in honoring Steve and Kim, you know, we wouldn't even be in this room knowing each other if they weren't faithful over the word that Yahweh gave them to move here and establish this ministry. You know, I don't know if I'd get to know all of you guys and if you guys would get to know me. So I'm very thankful for that. Now, if we haven't met each other yet, my name is Sam. Uh, I hope that I can meet you after service, but I am on the ministry staff here, and, and Steve, he, he reached out to me this past week and just asked me if I'd be able to release a word if I had anything in me, and I did. And uh, I had a couple different things, but I just really want Holy Spirit to illuminate to me what it is that he had for today. And what he had for today, I thought was one thing, and he changed it midweek, but that's all right. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just this concept of out of time. Now, it may sound like it's something out of time as in you're running out of time, but that's not what he meant by that whenever he was given it to me. It was out of time as in how Yahweh functions. Yahweh is outside of time. He functions out of time. And there was a, there was a sermon that Steve taught. This was a few months back, and I encourage you to go watch it or listen to it on the podcast. It was called Olam, O-L-A-M. And if you go on YouTube, you can just look up Rock Central Florida, Olam, but it was a great word, and, and what he was focusing on was this Hebrew word Olam and what it meant, which is everlasting, and it was in the sense, and you, you'll see it in scripture throughout, where it talks about Yahweh doing something, and it was everlasting to everlasting. Uh, I want to read really quickly in Psalm 90, it's just verse 1 and 2, and this was a prayer that Moses gave, but he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Let me start over. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains brought forth, or you ever had formed the earth and world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Hallelujah. And when you look at the, the Hebrew, that everlasting to everlasting, it was, it's that word, olam to olam. And when you, if you go back and listen to that teaching that Steve did, he just really dove into that word and the idea of what everlasting to everlasting means. And that is the same as eternity, right? But it's not just forever in the future, but it's that forever before our concept of time as well. Before he ever formed the mountains and the seas, before we were ever in this world, he was God. And after those mountains have become deserts and we're just bones in the ground, he will still be God. Right? It's that everlasting to everlasting, forever this way and forever this way, because that's our concept of time. We have to look at it this way and this way. But he's outside of that. He's out of time. <coughs> now, when we look at these concepts of, of Yahweh, that he's just so, so deep that our human minds can't always comprehend these, these deep places of him. He, the idea of forever is really hard, at least for me. I'll speak for myself. It's really hard for me sometimes to conceive the idea of forever because I'm, I'm on a clock. Right? I don't necessarily know when my clock's running out, but I know I'm on one. 
and even my days. I've only got this amount of time to get certain things done, right? I've got this week to get this job done, or I've got today to get this conversation over with, whatever it might be. And what I love about what Yahweh is able to do, though, is these deep things that are hard for us to comprehend. He's able to give us things in our everyday life that we're able to walk out and be a part of that can help us understand what he's doing on a big scale. And he lets us do those same types of things on a smaller scale for us to understand, but not just to see it, but also to be involved in the same types of processes that Yahweh is involved in. One quick example I'll use, I'm not talking about this today, but it was always hard for me to comprehend how Yahweh could be three and one at the same time. He's one God, yet he's three spirits, but he's one spirit. And it was always a confusing thing to me. How does that work? And then I got married. <laughs> right? And when you're married, especially when you're, when you're married under the, the confines of what Yahweh intended for marriage, you're joining two people to become one person. Now, me and my wife are still separate people. We still do our own thing. At the same time, though, we're still one Amen. person. So even if I'm not in the room, but Kaylee's in the room, I'm in the room. Amen. And if, if I'm in the room and Kaylee's not in the room, she's in the room. Amen. Everything that I do, it's not just a filter of how is this going to affect me, but it's also how is it going to affect my wife. And same for her and same for you if you're married. And you know this to be true if you're married. And in that, that is a way that we're able to see, okay, that's on our scale how two can become one. And Yahweh is the same. He's able to be three in one at the same time. And today I want to look at some things that Holy Spirit really was just pointing out to me as I went through this concept of how, how is he able to function outside of time. So I'm, uh, I'm one of the teachers at the Rock Academy. And I, uh, <laughs> I know those aren't the kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I'm, I'm one of the teachers. I, I teach two of the Bible classes, and Kaylee Hoffman, the principal, she had a faculty meeting this past weekend, or on Friday, uh, where all the teachers came together, and we just, you know, talk about teacher stuff, but she always opens up with a devotion, and, and I always look forward to it, because Kaylee's a deep well, and even when, and sometimes she's not the one that brings the devotion, sometimes it's other people, and I just love that, that time where we're all able to I get to see different sides of some of the teachers that I may not know on such a personal level, and then they're able to share. It's really awesome. But this week was, was uh, Kaylee, and she was, she was speaking over the, the idea of looking through the lens of eternity and looking, through the, looking at things eternally. And, and in that, she was talking about, you know, sometimes student situations and things like that, you have to look past their situation. But as I was looking and... And listening to her and receiving from her, I, th I thought about outside of just the students as well, just in my day-to-day -day life, that sometimes you meet people and, I mean, their life's a mess. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. My life was a mess, too. You know, and I have my messy moments still. But you'll meet people, and it's hard sometimes because all you see is that initial mess that they might be leading with. So you meet someone, and it's like, all I see is that you're an addict, or all I see is that you're rude or all I see is that you know you don't know how to carry yourself in a conversation without being offensive or I mean I can keep going and going we know people of all kinds of things that when you see them coming you're like 
Like, I don't want to do it today. I can't do it today. I don't want to be around them, right? Whether it's, whether they're aware of it or not. You know, some people choose to be mean, and then some people have no idea how painful it can be to interact with them. And, and I hope, I hope that I'm not painful to interact with. I probably have my moments. But, but Kaylee was talking about seeing through the lens of eternity. And I really started to think about that with these people that, they probably start coming to mind as I was talking about different examples of it. And when I look at these people, it's important to be able to look at them through the same lens that Yahweh looks at them. So when he looks at them, just like he looked at us at some point and still does, he doesn't look and just see the mess, right? Because there was a whole sequence of events that happened before that mess, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen after as well. So when he looks at us, he doesn't just see this current situation I'm in. Even if it's a good thing, it's not a mess. But he looks, this isn't all he sees right now. He doesn't just see the addiction that someone's struggling with. He doesn't just see the anger or the trauma that someone's struggling with. He sees all the things that caused that, and he also sees all the potential for healing after that. So when I start looking at people, I want to look at them through this lens. Now, this is a story of, I want to preface it with this. I was in high school. So... (laughs) I wasn't like an adult that, I handled it wrong. That's, let me lead with that. This story isn't about how good I did with something, right? I, I was not the, the good part of this story. But I just want to preface that I was in high school. It wasn't like a grown man treating a kid like this. So, <laughs> all right, just to clear that up. So I used to live in Haiti. Uh, for my four years of high school, my family was in Haiti. My parents were missionaries uh, for a school. So they were teachers, but I wasn't. You know, you like to say, (laughs) when you're in a missionary family, they like to say the kids are missionaries too, which kind of, but it's different because you're a kid. And, And then people expect you to operate in that same way that adult ministers are operating, but you're a kid, you know. And I found myself struggling with that a lot growing up. But this is an example of that. So we were in Haiti, and in Haiti, it's a lot different than here, and people are just out in the street all the time. Uh, Kids, adults, whatever, and then because I wanted to integrate in the culture and make friends and everything, I was also in the street a lot, and just, you know, walking around everywhere. Everyone walks or you take taxis, which is the back of a moped. If you're going more than, like, three miles, you might get a taxi, but otherwise you're just walking and hanging out with your friends, all that making friends, meeting people. So that's what I would do. But there was this one kid in my neighborhood. So I would have been probably 15, 16 in that time. And he would have been like 13 or 14. His name's Wilfred. And Wilfred, I couldn't stand him. Okay, he was a street kid. And I don't, I'm not saying that derogatorily, but he just, he was always on the street. He didn't go to school. You know, he may or may not be wearing shoes any given day. He was just, he was a street kid. And a lot of those street kids are pretty, like, tough. And, I mean, they have no type of, like, parental guidance, influence. If they have parents, which he did, I never met them. But if if they have parents, their parents just kind of send them out in the day, and they're just out in the streets all day. And uh, so I don't even know what his home situation was. I know he had at least a mom. But at the time, I didn't even care because I couldn't stand him. 
And the thing was, was it wasn't like one of these things where he was a younger guy trying to like bond with me and like just annoying. Because there's that, right? Like there's, a, there's that. They're not necessarily your sibling or maybe they are your sibling, but if you're an older sibling, you can relate. Like the, your, your sibling's friends or whatever, they might be trying to be cool with you, but you're like, you're so annoying. But this was not, this was not that. Wilfred was like mean, okay? And he, but he was a lot smaller than me still. And it was one of those things where every time I saw him, I just wanted to just like hit him. Because he would, he would just start talking junk immediately. Like the moment I came out of my house, it, if he saw me and I saw him, I wanted to go back inside, not in one of those like scared of the bully situations, but you're gonna push me to my absolute edge. And if I lose my control on you, that's gonna be way worse for me in the long run. So I would see him and I'm just like, here we go. And he would just immediately, I mean, cussing me out, insulting me, calling me names, trying to get other people to join in. You know, he, he usually wasn't trying to be physical, but sometimes he'd like throw something at me. But he'd always stay at like an arm's length also because he knew that he wasn't big enough to really do all that. But when I would see him, I was just like, here's Wilfred and I don't want anything to do with him. And it got to the point where, again, I was like, I was still a kid, but I really hated him, like truthfully. And I just, every time I saw him, I'm like, I just wish that you would like move away or I don't even know, I want you to be gone out of my life. Like I can't stand him. And it got to the point where I would tell other people that too. Like I told all his little friends that I could deal with, like keep Wilford away from me because I'm gonna lose it. So, and this, so at that point, everyone even knew that me and Wilford didn't get along. And he didn't like me either. That's why he was doing that stuff to me. I don't know why. I pro who knows what I said in any given moment. But <laughs> at some point, he also didn't like me. And it was like a, it was really a back and forth mutual dislike for each other. But as time goes on, I, and I did not have revelation about him. I didn't pour into him. I didn't try to add anything to him. I would tell him to his face, like, you're nothing, get away from me, all these things. And someone else did pour into Wilfred, right? Someone outside of who I was, all that. But they poured into him, and he changed. Oh, wow. right? Wilfred completely changed. So much to the point where he's one of the only people that I still communicate with, like through social media. And he's, and he's one that doesn't ever ask me for things. And it, it became a friendship. So he was like, at one point, I couldn't stand him to the point where he almost became like a little brother to me. Like, if I was going somewhere and I saw him, I'm like, hey, come on. Like, say I'm getting in a taxi. Like, I'm paying for his taxi to come, too. Because I know he can't, but I'm bringing him with me. And, and I really loved Wilfred after that. Like, after that change happened, I started to see all the good things about Wilfred. And all that being said, that had nothing to do with me. I wasn't a part of that. And... To a certain degree, I regret that, but I'm also grateful that someone was there that was willing to pour into him, because he was hard for everybody. And when that person did that, I was able to see what Wilfred was capable of becoming. Those, those two versions of him, I mean, you wouldn't even recognize them standing next to each other. And, and what that did was illuminate to me that I can look at people, I need to look at people outside of what I currently see. I'm grateful that that happened while I was still living in Haiti because I got to see who he became and I didn't leave on those negative terms that I made with him. But 
because I got to witness that change, I saw all that was possible in him and all the things that he could become. And, I mean, he's still a good kid. He's still doing good. He, I mean, he, like, got himself into some schooling. Again, because his parents didn't do it for him. But he was able to do this and that. I won't, like, get into his whole story, but he was able to get himself into some classes and things. So he may not have a degree, but he, he got himself some education even after I had left. And, and he's just a good kid. And like I said, I still talk to him from time to time. So we can look at people outside of the current time. Yeah. Right? I, I can look at Wilfred and see who he was at that time, but there was so much potential for him. And there was so much that had happened in his life that I wasn't even considering. But, I mean, just the fact that he was a street kid meant that he'd been through a lot more than I had. And, and if I can look at people in that full perspective from beginning to end of who they are and who they were created in the image of, that changes the whole way that I look at and interact with somebody. And then I was, as I was thinking about this outside of time, that's how we can look at other people outside of time. But we can also, we can function outside of time. A kind of a watered down version of us being outside of time is how we have our different reputations. So a reputation that I have is I'm like the throw it away guy. Like everybody, if you work with me, if, if you're in my family, you know I'm not really sentimental, but I'm around a lot of sentimental people. And if it's just sitting there forever, I'm like, this is just taking up space. Like, let's figure out something else to do with it, right? But then other people are like, no, that was my best friend's cat's sister's collar, you know? And it's like, all right. So anyways, but that, that's a reputation that I have is that I'll just... I'm not sentimental. And, and because of that, even if I'm not present in a situation, I'm in their consideration. So I'm like, okay, Sam's not here right now, but he's going to be here later. My wife has to deal with that. So if she knows that she wants to keep something that I probably am not going to care about, she's strategic about where she keeps it and <laughs> packs it away. Right? So then, so then whenever I open a drawer that I haven't opened in six months, I'm like, you still have this? It's because, yeah, because I knew if you saw it hanging on the fridge or something, you were just going to throw it away. So, but that's a, that's a watered-down version of how we can be outside of time, is what you're known for, people will adjust what they do based on what you're known for and the way that they know that you will react based on how they know you. It's like, okay, well... Maybe they're not here right now, but when they are, this is how they're going to feel about whatever decision that we make. And from there, you're considered outside of that current moment. Now, in that same vein, but a little bit of a deeper example, is legacy, the word legacy. Now, a lot of people want legacy. They talk about building their legacy, uh, making a name for themselves, which are all not bad things. Legacy is biblical. Yahweh wants us to leave an inheritance, leave a legacy for the next generation. But in that is, how is that outside of time? Well, right now, what I decide to do, and right now what you decide to do, you're building your legacy right now. So it doesn't feel like it necessarily. You're just making decisions and doing your thing. But you're already building your legacy. So if you can be aware of that, what kind of legacy am I trying to build? Because what I'm actively doing right now is also active already in the future. Because Yahweh's outside of time. 
So if right now I'm making decisions and I'm saying, this is how I'm going to show Yahweh to my children. This is how I'm going to, this is the relationship I have with God. And that's what I'm going to impart to my kids. Well, that's already actively impacting their kids and their kids and their kids. Because Yahweh's outside of time. So if I make him part of my legacy, my legacy is now already outside of time. I'm already starting it. I'm already building it and working on it. The, oh yeah, no, you're good. So the legacy that we're building now is outside of time with Yahweh, and we're able to, now we can leave a bad legacy as well. And, and I'm sure that a lot of us have that in our family, right? We have some legacy, you could call it. Legacy sounds more positive, but there's this, this generational curse in our family, right? So that's a, thing that people will look at us. And the awesome thing about us being able to be functioning outside of time is that we don't have to be a part of that. Because he's just as present then as he is now as he's going to be. So I can change that legacy. That doesn't have to be the legacy of my family. I can change it right now and start to and affect it for the future so that that's not what's looked back on. And now that legacy that didn't have Yahweh in it doesn't exist outside of time anymore. Because at one point, you might say, well, my parents didn't care about God, and their parents didn't care about God, and none of my family cares about God. So this is the first time I've ever heard any of this. I've never had any type of this kingdom revelation in my life, right? And that's been the, the legacy. But now with you, if you change that, and you're like, but God's important to me and my family, now all of that is completely irrelevant. Because no one's going to say, your kids aren't going to say, well, God wasn't important to my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents because if he was important to you, that's the new reference point for that legacy. It's, well, Yahweh was important to my parents, so it doesn't matter if he was important to anybody else. He was important in our family, and he's important to me now, and he's going to be important to my kids. And we're able to completely change that legacy, that family curse, and undo it and start fresh and start new but the thing is, is that now has affected backwards and forwards in our timeline. The reputation that we're building right now turns into the legacy when we may not physically be here anymore. So those things that people know you for, they're going to look back and remember you for those things. right? Not to be morbid, I'm not trying to talk about when you're dead and gone. But when you're dead and gone, people are going to look back and remember things about you. And what are those things that you want them to remember you for? What kind of legacy are you trying to leave and build? What kind of inheritance are you preparing for the next generation? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual inheritance as well. Wisdom and honor, right? Love, respect, these types of things. Are you imparting that to the next generation? If you want your... Everyone wants to be remembered. And most people want to be remembered for something good. And in that, if you truly want to be remembered, then your legacy needs to have Yahweh in it. Because otherwise, your legacy is not going to exist outside of time with him. But if you involve your legacy with him, if you put him right in the middle of it, since he's forever, so are you now. So if you really want to exist outside of time, then you need to involve Yahweh in in your, your timeline. 
And then the, the biggest key that I felt Holy Spirit gave me as far as recognizing this outside of time concept is, is through Jesus and what he did on the cross. So I think that most of us, if not all of us, are, are well aware of the sacrifice that Christ made. He went on a cross and died for our sins. He was a, a perfect man. He was a blameless man. And he took all the blame for what everyone has done, all the sin against God, and then he had the most horrific death that they could come up with at the time. You know, me and, me and my brother Josh, we play this game sometimes, and it's like, would you rather, kind of, but it's not would you rather, it's just I would rather. And it's if something that we don't like is happening, and then we try to think of the worst thing that we would rather do. It's not, it's not real, but it's like, I would rather break my own ankle with a scooter right now than, you know, watch this movie. Like, it's just a, it's a joke. But in that, at that time, if that was the worst thing that they could come up with at that time, was crucifixion, they were like, what's the worst way that we could kill someone but make it the worst death that they could endure? How can we torture them, make them suffer, embarrass them? just humiliate and, and continue the pain, not let you get out of the pain and get into a numb state, but continue pain. They came up with, what's the worst, worst thing that I could do? And that's what Jesus did for us. And I think that we all understand that. But what was really just revealed to me and what changed my life is that if that sacrifice is what brings salvation then that salvation, is, and that salvation is just as present today as it was for everyone that was standing on that hill with Christ when he died on that cross. So thousands of years later, I can still receive that same salvation. And then in a thousand years from now, they can still receive that same salvation. Right? So then, now, later, it's all the same. And it's because with Yahweh being outside of time, that cross is happening right now to him just as much as it was at the time that it was happening on earth. The cross is as active today as it was at the time that Christ was on the cross. And if it's actively bringing salvation, then I don't want to actively add sin to that. So that's what, for me, truly pushed me into this idea of, well, that's why, as a, as a kingdom son, as a Christian, that's why I don't want to sin. Right? Why, why, why do you not sin? Why, why is it okay to not just, you know, blur the line sometimes? What's the drive to not sin? Well, the drive to not sin for me is I don't want to actively add to the cross if it's actively bringing salvation. If it's active right now, then that means I can add to it right now. And understanding that, why would I want to do that to the man who loved me so much that he went through the worst death to bring salvation to me? You know, it makes you think of in Romans 6, Paul said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He said, by no means should we do that. Now, what does that mean, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What he's saying is, should... And I hear it said today, and it makes me want to punch people in the face. But they, they, but they say this. They say, oh, well, you know, I might as well live a life that's worth that sacrifice. Right? I've heard that, like, plenty of times. 
People, say, people joke about it. Now, usually the joking like that, that's outside of a, a Christian circle. But I hope, so. I hope no Christian would be saying something like that extreme. But to say, look, if my sin's forgiven, then, like, what's the big deal? Like, I'll just sin, and I'm good, right? And then if I'm a Christian now, and now I really have that understanding, so I'm really not afraid to slip up. Because if I slip up, oh, I'm sorry, I know, I know you got me, right? You got me? You still, okay, good. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. But that idea of, no, the cross is, the cross is active right now. Christ is sacrificing himself for our sin, everyone's sin, right now. And once you've identified that and chose salvation and chose to change your life and live a life that honors the Father, then to actively choose sin is to actively participate in the crucifixion of Jesus. And as for myself, I don't want any part of that. So it really was a, it's a pretty clear word that he gave me for today. And it was just that as he gave me these keys, and that's how I view them, whether they were from another person, from scripture, from Holy Spirit in me, whatever it might come from. But he gave me these keys because they helped me unlock new places in my life. So when I look at how he operates outside of time, how God operates outside of time, it changed how I see other people. It changes how I interact with other people because there's a whole lot more to them than this moment. It changes the way that I think about my legacy and how I want to be remembered. And how long do I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered for... One generation, two generations. How long do I want that legacy to last? And it makes me think about what is a true legacy then? Because if it doesn't last, then that's not much of a legacy. Legacy is supposed to stand the test of time. And then most of all, it really affected my, how I view my relationship with Jesus and what he did on the cross for, for me and you. To, to pull yourself outside of the concept of time, I mean, it changes, for me, it changed everything. And it made me realize the gravity of my words and my actions. And, and it's kind of like there's some pressure to it. But I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think to understand that if we're joined to the one and only true God, that there's going to be some, some gravity in our life at that point. But that's a responsibility that I want to walk in because I want to bring his purpose here. I know that he created me with a purpose and he created you with a purpose and anyone outside of these walls with a purpose. Everyone that's ever been alive has purpose. Everyone who will be alive was made with purpose. And as I've talked to people, you know, I talked to... I actually talked to my classes on Friday about what I was going to be speaking about, just kind of get some perspectives. And I 
spoke to the, the music team this morning, and, and a common thread that came up was the idea of how Yahweh views time. And this is something that Steve has talked about before, how we, have to, we view it linear because we're in it, but he's outside of that. He can look down at time and see all of it at once. And, but a good point was made because that doesn't mean that we are predestined in the way that a lot of people may think, where God knows exactly how I'm going to turn out from the beginning. That's a nice thought until you start thinking about some of the people that have existed. Because then that kind of, undo, that kind of undoes who God says he is. Because why would he create someone with the destiny of hell, right? Or a destiny of pain and suffering or a destiny where they reject him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't create that. But when he's able to look down this timeline and see everything happening all at once, he's able to see the moment we were born to the moment that we die. But in that, he gave us free will. And that was him allowing himself to give up a piece of his power. It's not that he can't control us. He totally can, but he chooses not to because he wants us to choose him. But what that means is now, with free will in the picture, there's more than just his purpose at play. There's, there's more than his heart at play now. Now we're involved. But what's so cool about him is that he can't be caught off guard because as he looks at our life, he sees every single possibility every choice that we can make and every consequence of those choices. And it's an example that I used on Friday, but you know those choose your own adventure books where it's like if you would, if you would go through the dark cave, turn to page 20, if you try to climb over it, go to page 40. And then you just, you bounce around through this book until you find the end. Well, if you look at our life as one of these choose your own adventure books, we're the one reading the book, but Yahweh's already read that book cover to cover. He knows every single choice that you can make and every single ending to that book possible. And what's so mind-blowing is that we all have those, and they all interact with each other, and he can see all of it at once. But in the middle of all those choices and all these timelines, he's able to look down and also see what Christ came to earth to do. And in that moment of him taking all sin upon himself, he was able to actively forgive sin that hadn't even happened yet all the sin that's possible, all the sin that we could potentially choose to do, that we may or may not choose to do, it's all been given the chance to be wiped clean. And, and you know, and that just, it just really made me step back and realize, you know, I don't want to be someone who is actively part of the problem. And I don't want to be someone who's actively steering my life in a direction that I was never purposed to live. And I may still find good moments and good purpose, but I can hold myself back. And maybe I end up at the right situation at the right time, but how many unnecessary twists and turns did I take along the way? But if I can understand that his purpose is the purpose that stands out above the rest, who knows what's best for you more than the one who designed you? Right? Who knows how a car drives better than the one who built it? And when you look at it this way and you start to understand and start to ask for understanding in it, 
you start to just really realize how much he loves you, how much Christ loved you, and how much he yearns for you to love him back, just even a fraction of that much.